Our scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. When John heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with a skin disease are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense in me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of God for the people of God. Today is the third Sunday of Advent, two weeks till Christmas. At this time of year, I am always aware of the range of emotions that are being experienced out there in the room. Some of you are full of joy, anticipating time with family or waiting to watch that loved one of yours open the perfect gift you have found. Others of you are overcome with grief and sadness, thinking of one who will not be with you this Christmas. Many of you are overwhelmed by the incredible number of things that must get done, while others of you are feeling quite lonely, lighthearted and heavy-hearted we come. The candles on the wreath are for hope, faith, joy, and love. But for many of us, those feelings are obscured by anxiety, worry, and stress. These are the many feelings of Advent. So today I invite you into a story, one that will inevitably not be the right story for all of you, but it's the one I'm going to tell, and I'll leave it up to God to do the rest. I wonder if there is someone in your life who has been a true inspiration to you. Someone who has helped you to grow in your relationship with God in difficult times and in joyful ones. Perhaps this is someone whose generosity or resilience or love was just immeasurable and they changed your life. This is who John the Baptist was for a lot of people. John's story is not one about a used-up, dried-up, ashen religion of the past. His is a story about the fire of faith. 
And from integrity to betrayal, from doubt to hope, his story has it all. Every year during Advent, we meet John the Baptist so often that I wonder if your eyes glaze over when you see that's the text. The problem may be that many of us only know the John the Baptist story in bits and pieces. Repent. Locusts and wild honey. Head on a platter. Where do these things all come together? What's the story of this man? John the Baptist comes to us piecemeal in Scripture itself. Mark 1, Luke 3, Matthew 11 and 14. And something is lost when we don't put the whole thing together. So this morning, I'm going to take just a few minutes to try to piece it together for you and give you the big picture to introduce you to someone you just might like. John the Baptist was related to Jesus. His mother Mary had a relative named Elizabeth. She was married to a priest named Zechariah. John is their son. We first hear of John before he is even born. This priest, Zechariah, is a comfortable and self-assured person. But at one point, he has a mysterious and troubling vision in which he is told by an angel that he will have a son, and he must name him John. This is contrary to Zechariah's plans, so he does not believe it. And when Elizabeth becomes pregnant, he goes ahead with his original plan to name him Zechariah Jr., more or less. And then he loses his voice. John or Zechariah is struck dumb, and this priest does not get his voice back until the meaning all of this finally dawns upon him. He finally comes to realize that he is not in control of his life. God is the one in charge. And that humbling experience changes everything for Zechariah. And he marks the experience by dropping the Zechariah Jr. idea and naming his son John. That's the naming story. Zechariah raises his son John to live a life in service to God, and John does not disappoint. By the time he is a young man, he is not chasing girls or accumulating wealth. He is living a very intentional life. I'm sure there are some of you out there who are dismayed by the commercialism of Christmas or by the moral decay of the culture. Have you wished you could return to a simpler, better life? John was dismayed by his surroundings, the opulence of Rome and the way that it oppressed his own people. He wanted no part of it, and John did not just complain, he took action. That is why we find John out in the wilderness, making his own clothes from animal skins, living off the land, warning people not to be seduced by the trappings of Rome, but rather to repent to change their hearts and lives. John wants to discover the roots of his religion. And he baptizes people to invite them into this new way of life, and they are inspired by his example. They come in great numbers and from great distances to see him. 
When Jesus reaches adulthood, he goes out to see John. And he is baptized by John in the Jordan River. This marks the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John effectively passes the torch to Jesus, who joins him in what is not only a spiritual quest, but is a gritty earthly one as well. They want a better world and better leadership for their people. John knows that their king, King Herod, is a weak and unprincipled vassal of Rome. And he rails against Herod when he speaks to the people, which gets him thrown into prison. John has become a popular, influential rebel, and Herod is afraid of him. The story gets more interesting by layers. There is a romantic dimension to it and a scandal that goes right along with it. King Herod is married to Herodias, a woman who had been previously the wife of his brother. This was not okay in their culture, and John the Baptist has publicly reprimanded Herod for his breach of their religious codes. The people hate the king. And King Herod and Herodias hate John because he is more popular than they are. There is nothing more attractive to a spoiled royal princess than a rebel her parents can't stand. And so some elements of the tradition claim that Herod's daughter, Salome, had a thing for John. Unfortunately, Herod, to make matters even worse, has his own thing for his stepdaughter, Salome. And one night, at a royal banquet, the evil king gets aroused watching his stepdaughter dance, and he promises in front of everyone there to give her anything she wants. At her mother Herodias's request, Salome asks for the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And Herod cannot go back on a promise he has made so publicly, so, the, so he complies, knowing that he is really doing the wrong thing. It is a story that highlights all the corruption and temptation that there is in the world, and in it, at the center of it, we meet John, one who has the integrity that is required to stand against it all. And yes, this racy story is in the pages of your Bible. The part of the story we read today reminds us that John in the midst of all of his goodness, is also human like the rest of us. He has doubts and struggles. This morning's lesson comes from the part of the story when John is in prison. He is probably hungry, cold, sleep-deprived, lonely. Maybe he wonders why the Son of God hasn't sprung him from jail just yet. Have you ever been struggling and wondering how this can be happening to you and why Jesus doesn't do something about it? John had done everything right. John had believed Jesus to be the Savior. And so in his moments of doubt, he pens a letter to his cousin Jesus and asks him a simple question, Are you the one or not? 
When people bring this letter from prison to Jesus, Jesus gives an interesting response. Go, he says, and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Jesus does not promise to fix John's problems. And he does not answer the question in the way John may want or expect. What he does do for John is remind him that his life matters. That in his life story, he has been part of an amazing vision for the world. Effectively, Jesus says, in my presence, the world looks different. We do not have to march like soulless zombies through a world dominated by the cruelty of Herod and Rome. The world can look different than that through the eyes of faith. Our lives are marked by healing and hope for people the world leaves behind. Am I the one, John? What do you think? And then Jesus adds to his response a reminder that even in the midst of his doubts, John was an incredible disciple of Christ, a force to be reckoned with. As they walk together along the road, Jesus is speaking to his followers, and he has this to say about John, remembering when he was in the wilderness. What did you all go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? No. Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What did you go out to see? A prophet. That's what you saw. And so much more. John the Baptist had been doing things to bring a, bring a better world into being. And he reminds his disciples of that because they can be a part of it too, and so can we. In all kinds of big and small ways, whatever gifts you may have. Integrity. Forgiveness. A listening ear. A smile to someone who needs it. What do you need to receive? Maybe the grace to get up in the morning, receive God's forgiveness, and try again in your own life. These values, so rare in our own world, were rare also in John's. But he chose to live by them, and so can we. And that's why we read about John every year. He's human, just like you and me, but amazing things happened in his life, and he can inspire us to follow. How did he do it? My hunch is that the key to John the Baptist's life and goodness is that he was always pointing away from himself to someone else, to Christ. 
who he always said over and over again, he surpasses me in every way. And he is the one who's coming to do the saving. Friends, the telling of this story is no dead tradition. It is no worship of ashes. It is the preservation of the fire of faith. And it is meant to inspire us year in and year out to lead fuller, richer, more joyful lives dedicated to things that matter. This is the story of what we wait for at Advent. Amen.